For the last month, we've been talking about the DNA of Trilogy, who we are really at our core on the inside, not just what do we look like, uh, not you know what is, is some of the programs that we do, but really what is the motivation behind all of that, identifying the values that determine how and why we do what we do. We've talked about the value of new stories and of seeing God do new things in our lives on a consistent basis that we don't just get satisfied with where we're at, but we're always growing and learning and developing and getting closer to Jesus uh, and in the lives of people around us, that God would use us to make a difference in people's lives and we would see new stories in their lives as well of seeing God uh, you know, grow strong families, how the family is designed to be a reflection of our relationship with God. Uh, marriages, parenting, uh, our age-based ministries at Trilogy, uh, all hugely important to us and a guiding principle of why we do things the way we do. And then last week, we discussed what healthy relationships look like. And uh, everything that God wants for us and everything God wants from us can be found in healthy relationships. And if you missed any of those weeks, any of the last three weeks, please take time to watch the, that particular message that you might have missed on our website. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about our final value of having an outward focus and that we won't be content with just the people who are already part of Trilogy. We're not going to be satisfied and say, we're good. We're just going to focus on us and we're just going to worry about our needs and who we are. We, we have a responsibility to share God's love with every single person that we can, with those people that God has strategically placed in our lives. We have a responsibility as followers of Jesus and as a church family to reach out and invest in them and to help them understand God's incredible love for them. Why? Because this world isn't what it should be. I don't know if you've seen what's happening in the world around us, but this is not the way the world is supposed to be. It doesn't take long to figure that one out. I mean, there are the big things, some obvious moments that happened in our lifetimes, like the 9-11 tragedy when thousands of people lost their lives in the worst terror attack ever committed. There are some things that make it really obvious this is not the way the world should be. But there's plenty of other indicators of, as well that people unfortunately tend to forget about. Uh, you know, the number of marriages and the percentage of marriages that end in divorce, not the way God wants it to be. The number of babies that are killed every day through abortion, absolutely not the way God wants it to be. And the persecution of followers of Jesus all around the world. The world is not what it should be, church. And we need to do everything we can to help the world look more like the world that God intended when he created it in the first place. But stop just for a second, and I want you to imagine what it would be like if every person on the face of the planet had committed their lives to Jesus. How would this world look different if every person on planet Earth made a faith decision to follow Jesus and to surrender and to make him the Lord of their lives, to live according to his teaching? They were loving God and loving others to the best of their abilities. What would the world look like? How would it be different? It would change everything. Um, but here's what you need to realize. As awesome as that world would be, it's really not that significant because what really matters is beyond this life. 
what God has told us to focus on is not this life, but the life that is to come. The fact that there is pain and suffering in this world is no comparison to what people will experience in eternity apart from Jesus. And every minute of every day, every 12 seconds in the U.S. alone, someone dies and goes to an eternity. And if they have rejected God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, they will be separated from God for all of eternity. And they will have to pay the penalty for their own sin because they rejected that price that Jesus had already paid. A penalty he paid in full if we will only ask. And how many churches across America today are meeting right now, singing songs, drinking coffee, listening to a nice talk from a nice man in a nice suit, with no thoughts about the thousands of lost people within shouting distance of the building where they're meeting right then. Not every church, certainly. I, I would, there's plenty of churches that have an outward focus. But even one church who doesn't have an outward focus is too many. If that church professes to follow the teachings of Jesus and they're not reaching out to those around them, they're missing it. Any church who focuses inward and is more concerned with their own happiness and their own comfort and their own contentedness than they are about reaching those who are far from God is not really a church at all. It's a social club because the church is on mission and that mission was given to us by Jesus. The church is an army, an army that has been mobilized for one reason and that's found in Matthew 28, 19. When Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the mission, church. That's what Jesus has called us to do. And every church that follows scripture, that's their mission statement. You can change the language, you can dress it up, you can make it rhyme, but that's the mission. That's what we're all called to, is to make disciples. And so I want to ask you a question this morning, church. Where is your focus we want to experience more of God. We want a deeper relationship with him. We want our faith to grow. All of that is true. But the size of your faith will never grow beyond your passion for the lost. The size of your faith will never grow beyond your passion for the lost because that's what God has called us to. Well, can I just love Jesus? Yes, you have to love Jesus, but you can't truly love Jesus if you don't understand and love the same things that he does. A church that loses its outward focus has already begun to die. They've ceased to be the church that Jesus founded upon Peter's confession when he said in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. When Peter made that confession of faith, Jesus said, yes, that's it, Peter. And that wasn't revealed to you by man. That was by the Holy Spirit. And he said, but that, is, that confession is the rock upon which I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's that confession that should motivate us and drive us that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. He's the one who has come to bring salvation and life and to bring us life more abundantly. And as I was writing this message, I thought that this would be a pretty good place to lighten things up a bit. I, I'm intentional when I work through my message to kind of at some point pull back and let people breathe a little bit because you don't want to beat on people for 45 minutes because it's been pretty intense so far. Um, but then I thought, you know what? I think we kind of need to feel this one. We don't 
always need to come up for air. Uh, I don't think we always need to take a breather. This topic, more than just about any other topic we could talk about, is one that we should feel in the deepest part of our souls. And if we are not living this, if we are inward focus, if we are content, then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to mess us up because we're not in a place where God can really use us. There's too many of us who don't want to make the sacrifice. You know, we spend too much time asking, uh, like the, the mandate in scripture, who is my neighbor? You know, instead of loving our neighbors. We aren't willing to inconvenience ourselves to tell someone about Jesus and his love for them. Maybe we don't think they're worth it. Maybe we love our image too much. Maybe we're lazy. Maybe we're selfish. I don't know what the cause is. There are probably a whole lot of causes. But listen to this really disturbing statistic. 64% of evangelical Christians today believe that sharing their faith is optional. 64%. And this is an oxymoron because evangelical means you're carrying the good news. So here's the thing. 64% of Christians who supposedly say they are called to carry out the good news believe that sharing their faith is optional, not mandatory. Hopefully you're one of the 36% who understand that Jesus had called every one of us to go. But why are so many people sitting on the sidelines when it comes to telling others, to living out and following Jesus' orders? I can't answer for every single person, but I believe this. Most people won't sacrifice for the mission because they don't feel deep within their souls that the mission is really worth sacrificing for. They just don't feel it. They don't have a passion for the lost. They don't love lost people the way Jesus loves lost people. We pray all the time that God would comfort us when we're disturbed, right? When we're messed up. But I think we need to be praying that God would disturb us because we've gotten too comfortable. To be the church is to share God's heart for lost people. Whether it's across the street or around the world, we are called to proclaim the gospel. That is what we are supposed to do. God has called each of us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we need to make sure that that inner fire that comes from an outward focus is burning here at Trilogy. In me, in you, in leadership, in everyone. In our students, in our kids. They need to understand the need and the command to reach outside of ourselves and to be light and salt in this world. To love God and to love others and to let others see God's love through us. So let's take a look at a story from the life of Jesus. Um, but before we get to that story, let me kind of set the scene as to where we're at. Um, and then we'll jump into the scripture. Jesus has just finished uh, a conversation with the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman from the village of Sychar and was considered to be unclean and unapproachable by Jews. Uh, she was, she was a, a Gentile. And uh, Jesus pushed through the religious, the moral, the gender, and social walls that had separated them and told her who he was and offered her eternal life in, in this conversation. It's an amazing conversation that he has with her. And her life is transformed uh, by her belief. And she immediately goes back to Sikar and told them to come meet this amazing man who basically had just read her mail. And he told her the truth of her life situation, offered her a better way, offered her a way out. And so that's kind of where it brings us here. And then meanwhile, as she is talking to the men of the village of Sikar, 
and bringing them back to meet Jesus, the disciples, having just returned from that same village uh, where they went to buy bread for lunch, Jesus sent them off to get food. They went to the village of Sychar to buy bread for lunch, are now trying to figure out how to approach Jesus since he just got out of a, for them, incredibly awkward conversation with this unclean, unapproachable woman. So that's where we find us. The disciples are huddled up. The woman has gone off and Jesus is sitting by himself at the well. John 4, 31 to 38. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Now, can you imagine the disciples here? They're still figuring Jesus out anyway at this point. This is early on in the ministry. They're just trying to wrap their heads around who Jesus is and how he ticks. And, and, and they're just standing there like, well, you talk to him. You go. No way. You do it. Find out who she was because that didn't look good. Are you serious? She was a Samaritan. No way I'm bringing that up to the master. Oh, wait, guys, I've got it. Give me the bread. Hey, rabbi, here. Eat something. And the, and the passage earlier states that they'd been traveling all day and just got to the well, and it comments specifically on Jesus' thirst. And the thirst may be more immediate, and he ignores that to talk to her, but the hunger is there at well. So Jesus, who got to the well incredibly thirsty from his travels, launches right into this conversation with her, just keeps going. Then he's hungry now. And even though Jesus is hungry and thirsty still and definitely wants the food the disciples have brought back, he sees an opportunity here, an opportunity to teach them a valuable lesson. And we get to go to school on the disciples today. I would much rather have the disciples make the silly mistake than for me to. So let me just go to school on them. And I want you to understand the first thing here is that Jesus wants and his needs took a back seat to his calling. Jesus wants and Jesus needs took a back seat to his calling. When was the last time you sacrificed what you wanted or needed for a lost person, for someone who needed Jesus in their lives? His mission was more important than his mealtime. That one hits me right where I live right there. His mission was more important than his mealtime. He was absolutely committed to seeing the Father's will accomplished, and nothing would stand in the way of it. Not hunger, not thirst, not fatigue, nothing. And so he responds to the brave disciple who approached him, I have food that you know nothing about. Now let's get inside the heads of the disciples for just a second. The text continues with, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Um, they're confused. They're probably a little ticked off. Like, wait a minute, we were tired and then we got sent off to buy stuff. We come back and he's already eaten. I mean, what in the world? Uh, they'd walked into the village, an unclean village, mind you and tried to scrounge enough kosher food for a decent meal. 
and they hurry back knowing their master's hungry. They want to please him. They get back to find him talking to a woman, big no-no, and a Samaritan, even bigger no-no. And now after she leaves, they find out that Jesus has already eaten his lunch. What are they even doing here? Obviously, the disciples are missing the big picture, but they aren't so different from most of us who are trying to follow Jesus. We all struggle to see people. We all struggle to see circumstances the way that God sees people and the way that God views circumstances. And that's what Jesus's teaching moment here is all about. It's about seeing things from a different perspective. It's about seeing things through God's lens as opposed to our own selfish and prideful and inward focused lens. Perspective is important because it it changes the way uh, or the way we perceive things will really shape our reality. Perspective really matters. It drives our behavior. If we're self-focused, we're going to live our lives to please ourselves instead of to please God. If we're fearful, we're going to miss opportunities that God has put in front of us. Perspective really changes everything. And Jesus wants to change the perspective. He wants to shift that of the disciples to help them see things the way that he sees them. And so Jesus continues, Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, Jesus has been known to keep people hanging as he continues to slowly unpack the truth that he wants them to understand. But here in this moment, he doesn't keep circling the block. He pulls right in the driveway. He's like, here it is, guys. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to make you figure it out. Here's the truth. And the two things I want us to notice from this verse is that Jesus said, the will of God who sent me. God had sent him. He was not on his own. That's the first thing that we see from this is that God sent Jesus. When God sends you, he's going to go with you. You're not alone. And God has sent us. We just read that verse earlier. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That is sending. You have been sent. And God is with you. He didn't leave you alone to accomplish it. He's going before you. He's going with you. And he'll come behind you. And so God is sending us and God is with us. The second thing is that Jesus' food is not just doing. Jesus' food is finishing. He said, uh, will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And this is what I want you to understand. True satisfaction is found not in the doing, but in the done. Too many people are just doing all sorts of stuff, but nothing ever gets finalized. Nothing ever gets finished. Nothing ever gets completed. And let me tell you, from an evangelism standpoint, man, there's nothing more satisfying than praying with someone as they make the decision to give their lives to Jesus. Now, that's not going to happen all the time, and it's not on you. The Bible's clear on that. Our job is to plant seed. That's what our job is. Our job is to be a witness, to share what God has done in our lives. And sometimes that's going to result in us having an opportunity to talk further, maybe even pray with someone. But oftentimes, it's just going to be dropping a sentence into a conversation, letting people see our faith as we live it out. And we're never going to see what happens eventually. 
But we need to continue to work. We need to plant and then we need to water and then water some more and then be that light that helps bring maybe some warmth to it. We need to be willing to continue and to bring it to completion. Not just busy in our lives, but actually doing something and accomplishing things for the kingdom. When Jesus breathed his final breath, he did not proclaim from the cross, it's a work in progress. No, when Jesus was, when at the end of his life, Jesus declared, it is finished. It is done. I have accomplished what I set out to do. And too many of us are content just to nibble at the edges of God's will and God's plan. I mean, and I do it too. I mean, the, when I transitioned, um, I left my last position, my last pastoring job. I left it knowing God was moving me forward, that, but then I decided that I knew what I was supposed to happen next. I didn't ask God uh, what God had for me next. And now I've moved here to Texas. And then I had a decision to make. We could have stopped at that point with a Bible study. We could have said, okay, it felt good. We liked the people there. It was comfortable. But God hadn't called me to start a Bible study. He called me to plant a church. So we launched Trilogy five years ago. And here's the thing. We could be content with just doing church each week. We could be content with just kind of turning the crank. But I want you to know something. I'm not content. I'm not okay with the way things are right now. I, and I hope you aren't either. I don't ever want to get content. I don't care if God like does something crazy and someday we're 10,000 people. I don't want to be content with 10,000 people. I don't ever want to be content because there's still more people to reach. I don't want to be a doer. I want to be a finisher. I want to continue to grow this church. I want to see new stories written and families all up and down the 380 corridor. I want to see people saved. I want to see marriages restored. I want to see people healed. I want to see everything God has put in my heart for these communities come to pass. I want to see lost people find Jesus and we're going to finish what we started, church. That's why God has called us together. That's why you're here. That's why we're in a sermon series called DNA because we want to really figure out what and why and how God has called us to do what we're here to do and then go live it out and everyone contribute their part to see that become reality. But here's the thing. I can't finish this by myself. I can't do it. We've got to all be committed to finishing. We've got to all put the mission before the me monster. We've got to all be committed to dying to self and living for Christ. Not one of us is allowed to say, well, I'm not called to be a missionary, so I don't have to share my faith with my friends and neighbors. There's no difference in spiritual terms between a missionary witnessing in his hometown to his next door neighbor and a missionary witnessing in Kathmandu, Nepal. There's no difference. We all are called to go into all the world and make disciples, even if it's only to the next room or the next block. You are either a missionary or you are a mission field. There is no third option. Either you're a missionary and you're called to carry the gospel to people or you're a mission field you need to be invested in. You need to have somebody share Jesus with you because you're not living it out. There is no third option there. So let's finish the story and see what it's going to take. The scene is now set for this next verse. Verse 35. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Evidently, Jesus is referring here to some proverbial expression that was common in those days. It was a rural saying the farmers would use as they waited for the crops to ripen. And patience is a big part of agrarian life. 
a lot of it isn't very exciting. There's a reason that we use the expression about as exciting as watching grass grow. There's a lot of waiting involved. You plant, you wait, you harvest. You've got to understand that waiting is a big part of it. And that's not to say that farmers just throw seed in the ground and then they sit back and do nothing. I mean, there's cultivating that needs to take place. There's weeding that needs to take place. There's plenty of other jobs that go along with that. Um, but you don't sit around, uh, you can't rush the growing process. Jesus challenges that line of thinking when it comes to the spiritual realm. We don't just wait for the harvest to come in. We open our eyes, we look at the fields, you see that the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. And now the picture that we see here, okay? Here's Jacob's well. Jacob's well here is where they were sitting and having their meeting. His men and he are gathered around it talking about food. Up the road, just a half a mile away, comes this whole group of people as uh, this woman comes back. It's the woman from Sychar and the men that she met in town. And there's a big group of men that come back with her, maybe 50 or 60 in all. Most of the men in the town are following her. They want to see what this is all about. And when Jesus says, look, the fields are white for harvest, he's not looking at fields of produce. He's not pointing at something that's growing in a field. He's watching that group of Samaritan men making their way up the road, their robes and their turbans shining brightly in the sun. They were the fields that were white for harvest, not the wheat or the grain. Sychar was the harvest field and the men of Sychar were ready to be harvested for the kingdom of God. He points in their direction and refers to them as the fields being ripe for harvest. And as these white turbaned men of Sychar come closer and closer, the message sinks in to the disciples. Don't say four months and then the harvest comes. Open your eyes. The harvest is walking up the road right now. And we've got to get the picture as well, church. The communities around us are filled with people who are hungry for truth, for authenticity, for real life-giving, life-changing faith, and most importantly, for someone to show them what it looks like and tell them how they can find it. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year, but today, right here, right now, the fields are ripe. And you say, well, pastor, we don't have a building. We don't, I don't have a place where I can invite them. Well, yes, you do. Uh, you know, if you go to one of the home gatherings on Sunday mornings, you can invite them to come with you there. I know our host homes would love to have you invite somebody to, to spend Sunday morning there. But outside of that, guess what? You, you don't have to invite somebody to church to be a witness. You can talk to them about your faith. You can share what God is doing in your life. You can tell them what God has done for you in the past. In fact, I think that's our primary responsibility. I think inviting to church is secondary. And we need to make sure that we are investing in people. They are the focus that Jesus is pointing us to. When harvest time comes, everything else has to be set aside. Nothing else matters at that point. Nothing else is as urgent Nothing is as necessary as getting to the harvest field while they are white for harvest. Why? Because harvest time doesn't last forever. The wheat ripens, the corn matures, the vegetables swell to their full adult size. But if you don't get out to the fields while they are white, the crop rots on the vine. The opportunity is missed. There's a window and it does not stay open forever. And guys, we are living in a window of time right now. We're living in a window of time where we have an opportunity to share our faith, but that window will not stay open forever. There will come a day when Jesus will return and take his church home. There will come a day when our opportunity will be gone. 
There will come a day where we won't have the freedom to proclaim the name of Jesus like we do now. And we have to live with the intensity that this time demands because we have an opportunity like some nations around the world don't have. We don't put our life on the line every time we say the name of Jesus. But who knows what can happen in the future? Someday we may. And so use the opportunity that God has given you and the time that God has given you to take the message of hope and life and love that God has implanted in our hearts, not just in our hearts, in our souls. He has recreated us in the image of Christ so that we can be his image bearers in a world that desperately needs to know the truth. That's our calling, church. And here's the question you need to ask and answer this morning. How long have I already waited? And are there opportunities? No, wait a minute. Let's call them what they are. Are there people that you've missed the chance to tell them about God's love? Are there others who you've avoided bringing it up to? And the chance is still there. We can't wait, church. The time is here. The time is now. But what will it cost me, you might ask? Jim Elliott, one of the most famous missionaries ever, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Eternal reward far outweighs any comfort, any peace, any reputation that we can have in this lifetime. Don't hold on to what you're going to have to lose someday anyway. You can't take it with you. Invest in eternity. Let me point out a couple of things about this story and then we'll wrap up. First, the woman at the well saw something the disciples completely had missed. Where did the disciples go to get bread? They went to Sychar. It was the nearest village, about a half mile from Jacob's well. Those men who had been with Jesus, the disciples, they went into Sychar to buy bread because they were hungry. Now get this. They didn't see the harvest at all. They missed it completely. All they saw was the bread their eyes were in their stomach, so they walked right past the harvest without ever seeing it. They went to Sychar to fill their empty stomachs. When they got their bread, they left the village, never dreaming that they were walking through a harvest field of men ready to enter the kingdom of God. Their own desires had blinded them to the greater spiritual need around them. These men who knew so much missed the harvest altogether because they weren't looking for it. Church, keep your eyes open. Pray daily that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to the needs of people around you, would open your eyes to the spiritual readiness of people around you. But this forgotten fallen woman, this woman who lived a life of brokenness and despair, this woman with whom we would not want to have very much contact from a human perspective, this woman who wouldn't fit into our world, this woman went into the very same town while they brought back the bread, she brought the men back to Jesus. She saw the harvest and these theologically trained disciples missed it altogether. In life, you go after what you can see. If bread is what you see, then that's what you're going to go after. If money is what you see, that's what you're going to go after. If career advancement is what you see, then that's what you're going to pursue. If climbing the ladder is what you see, that's what you're going to go after. But if you see the harvest of men and women ready to come to Jesus, then that is what you will pursue. It's an unchanging principle in this life. What you see is what you pursue. And that's why praying and asking God to give you his lens, to give you to see people the way he does is so critical because then we will begin to pursue the things that God's heart pursues.
How do we get there? We have to pray to see people like Jesus does. That we would have the same passion for lost people that drove Jesus to the cross. Second thing, the story shows us that spiritual openness is not always apparent on the surface. You can't always tell how open someone is. Suppose the disciples had decided to take a survey of Sikar. What do you suppose they would have found? I mean, easy. It would say, forget it. Don't waste time in Sikar. The people are a bunch of pagans. They don't use the right kind of Bible. They don't even worship on the right mountain. They really are a bunch of half-breeds. Besides, they hate Jews. And since the boss is a Jew, it just is not going to work out. We better wait for a while. We better keep praying and look for a better opportunity somewhere else. That's what the survey would have said. And humanly speaking, they would be correct. On the outside, there was no reason to think that Sikar was ready for the gospel. But Jesus knew differently. He says, guys, you've missed the whole point. This woman understands something you've never figured out. There's a harvest in that town, and that woman is bringing the harvest in. Jesus is saying, there are people that I love in Sikar. There are people I'm going to die for. There are people there who are going to hell, and I can't let that happen. While you guys are filling your stomachs, that woman has figured out what is closest to my heart, and I didn't even have to tell her. Jesus told the disciples, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish the work he gave me to do. And one big part of finishing that work is going out into the sickars of this world, to the forgotten and the hopeless places, to the broken people that we pass by every day, and bringing back men and women for Jesus to transform with his love. The message really, church, for today is simple. The fields are white already for harvest, and our greatest problem is that we don't believe what Jesus said is true. We don't believe it. The size of your faith will never grow beyond your passion for the lost. When we look around, we don't see the white fields. We see fields filled with weeds and overgrown vines. We see people who don't think like we do. They don't believe like we do. They don't have the same uh, values that we do. And we see the world as a spiritually hopeless place. To us, the world looks like Sikar. What do you see when you go to work? Do you just see your coworkers and your boss? What do you see when you go to school? Do you see other students or your teachers? Is that all you see? What do you see when you look at your neighbors? All around you are thirsty people, men and women literally dying of spiritual thirst, desperately searching for something they don't even know exists, that water of life that Jesus promised. And we've got the water. For too long, we've been keeping the water to ourselves. Ask God to open your eyes this morning. Look around you. There are men and there are women and there are families who are thirsty. Take your eyes off the things that concern me and you will see a world filled with people who are dying of thirst. They're empty, they're broken, they're lonely, they're confused. They're misled by a million false voices that speak into our lives on a regular basis. And they are all around you waiting, hoping, and even praying that someone will show them a better way. The fields are white for harvest in Crossroads, in Providence Village, in Paloma Creek, in Savannah, in Denton, in Dallas, and to the ends of the earth. There is no place on earth that the gospel won't make a difference. The main question that is going to make a difference is this. If the fields are white for harvest, what am I going to do about it? And that's a question I hope every one of you will ask seriously today. Am I going to get involved in the harvest or am I going to make excuses why it can't be done? If you live looking for excuses to not be obedient to Jesus, I can't change and I can't convince you. 
until your heart changes, you will find a reason to not obey Jesus. There has to be heart change first. So I want to close with this quote. I've used this quote before. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorites when it comes to evangelism and because it just grips me every time I hear it. And I hope it'll do the same for you. I'm going to read this quote by Charles Spurgeon, then we'll pray. What does it mean to have an outward focus? Here's the quote. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Let's pray, church. God, we come to you this morning and we are humbled by the need around us. God, we see a world that is broken, that is desperate, that is lost. And God, even though we carry that living water, even though we are salt and light to a world that needs both, God, for far too frequently, we keep it to ourselves. And God, I pray that you would forgive us as individuals, forgive us as a church for being inward focused too much of the time. And I ask God that you would reverse that and help us to look outward. Help us to see the fields that are, are ripe for harvest. Help us to not just see them, but help us to take action and to do everything we can. God, my prayer ultimately is that you would change the way we see people. We see people who are different than us, but the reality is they're not different than us. We're the same. We've just discovered your love and we've been forgiven. And God, I pray that you would help us to be your witnesses. Help us to share our story. Be doing new things in our life on a regular basis so we have something powerful to share. And God, as we share with others, God, let us make a difference in people's lives. God, I pray for a harvest like our church has never seen. Let us begin to see people give their lives to Jesus. Let us partner with them and, and, and celebrate with them in water baptism. Let their lives be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And God, let there be this incredible, incredible exponential effect as their life tra gets transformed and they share. Then two or three more people and they share. Then two or three more people. God, let us see a harvest of souls in these last days like we have never seen before. Use us, God, however you want to use us. But God, let us make a difference. Let us be focused outward and let us make a difference in the world around us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.